jumper on the way. Good! Tyus Battle nails the three! Dungy leaps and into the end zone for Dungy. A touchdown! If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Powered for Dungy! Soaring through the air! High-flying Slovakian! Screen pass here, he'll get one. And he stays alive and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat, he'll do it. Touchdown, Syracuse! And for Syracuse, party time. The upset, pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration, step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Powered by Drivers Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us. Alongside Seth Goldberg, I'm Stephen Fonte. 315-437-7644 is the number. If you'd like to get involved, you can also text us at 315-288-0614. Just one guest lined up for you today. Anthony Defino, SU's Associate Athletics Director in charge of business development. He's going to join us at the top of our number two as we look ahead to what feels like the biggest home game of the season for the SU football team. The Orange 4-0 and inside the Dome, looking to move to 5-0 and inside the Dome this season. Should they do that, the Orange would be bowl eligible for the first time since 2013. So we'll get Anthony's thoughts on how ticket sales are. I do have a few thoughts on the... Uh, the fan participation, uh, let's say, uh, last Saturday inside the Dome against North Carolina. First Saturday night game in the Dome. First Saturday night game in the Dome. Do you know Do you know this? Uh, have, have you looked? No. Do you have a guess? I know it's a while ago because I saw the other day you were looking uh, in the media guide and it took you a while to find the answer. I did. I know they've played a bunch of Friday night games, obviously. Of course. Um, I believe you told me, you, was, was it Maine? Is that what you told uh, no, me? It was that same year. It was 2010. Okay. Uh, they had played Maine early in the year as a Saturday night game. They ended up playing a game later in the year against Connecticut. That was a Saturday night game. Tricked but it me. Was 2010. That was a while it's been ago. Eight years. Eight years. ESPN two game again. A lot on the line. Five and one. NC State five and two. Uh, Syracuse. We keep talking about how you know SU's next step is to kind of move up the ranks in the Atlantic Division. NC State. Seems like that next team they got to track down, right? Got yes. BC and Wake Forest and Syracuse all kind of near the bottom. If if Syracuse wants to take that next step, I think they got their eyes on on NC State, and they're certainly better than Louisville this year. I think everyone in that division is better than than Louisville this year. But we'll we'll talk with Anthony Defino coming up at one hundred and five. We will get into the quarterback situation a little bit more. Uh, neither quarterback made available last night. Uh, it's our one chance every week to talk to the players Tuesday night, uh, right around 6.15, 6.30 after practice. Usually everyone's made available or whoever you request. We requested both quarterbacks. I'm sure a lot of other media folks requested both quarterbacks, and uh, we were not allowed to talk to the quarterbacks. Players we did talk to said about what you would expect. Nobody cares about who gets the credit. We trust both guys, whoever's out there is out there, and uh, we're going to do our best to keep this thing rolling. So, no trade secrets released last night, no endorsements uh, given out. Did they not think, and uh, we'll get to this later, did they not think that Tommy DeVito and Eric Dungey weren't capable of doing that? Let's talk about it now, quickly. (laughs) Okay. Um, Because that's all you're asking them to do if you send them out there, right? You're asking them to not give anything away. Correct. 
I would say this, um, and, and and listen, I'm obviously in the media. Obviously, I wanted to hear what Eric Dungy had to say, wanted to hear what Tommy DeVito had to say. I understand why they do it, and to me, it's more than just we don't want those guys to slip up. Do you really think Eric Dungy wants to face the media? Of course he doesn't. Okay. And if Tommy DeVito's going to start, but the coach doesn't want him to let anybody know he's going to start... You really think he wants to talk to the media? And if he's not going to start and he's going to continue to be the backup, do you really think he wants to talk to the media? My point is, I feel like the the coaches, you know, Dino Baber specifically, did those two guys a favor. Dungy doesn't want to ask the be asked the questions about, you know, you got pulled from the game and what's wrong and are you hurt and you know what did you think of Devito and he doesn't want to answer those questions and Devito either way if he's starting and can't tell anyone or if he's not starting and can't tell anyone, does he really want it? Answer questions. I, I understand what you're saying, and I know that nobody wants to answer those questions, and nobody wants to be in that situation. And I, I let me make this abundantly clear right off the top. I'm very well aware that these are college students. I'm very well aware that these are are players in in the college athletic system. Doesn't some of this come with the position? It so, does. Like, like to some extent, doesn't some of it? Like, isn't there some expectation that? That a quarterback on a team is going to to speak. That that you as a four year starter should, are are going to be there. Here's the thing, and you're right. It it does come with the territory. Just like you know, after a tough SU basketball loss, they you know they don't make they open players up the room unavailable. And there. Right, unless somebody's hurt. Unless somebody if, if somebody's right. hurt, then generally they, they let them get treatment and, and you don't have a chance to talk to them. But we've talked to plenty of players after tough losses. They don't want to answer questions, but they, they stand in front of the microphone and they, they answer the questions. I'll never forget, I know I've said this to you before, but after Scoop's last game uh, in the NCAA tournament, tears streaming down his face, Chris Joseph, tears streaming down his face, they both stood in front of the reporters and... And they welcomed the questions, and they talked for you know fifteen, twenty minutes, whatever it was. And you know, I mean, I I have a lot of respect for those guys in in tough situations, tough circumstances like that to to answer questions. Now, this isn't quite like that, right? It was he he played bad, he got pulled from the game, and you know he might not start next week. So we're not talking about the end of his career. We're talking about a, a rough patch. I think this week it is different. Yes, it comes with the territory, Seth. But this week when. There's so much uncertainty, and Dino Babers is trying to play that to his advantage. And by holding both guys out, he continues to move forward with this illusion that there's a quarterback controversy. Now, I firmly believe, and I think you probably believe it as well, that he knows what he's doing, and he's he's told the team that. Now, I asked him that on Monday. I said, Coach, have you made the decision, and have you told the team? He started to answer, then he paused, and he said, I'm not going to answer. My guess is... He knows exactly what he's doing. I think he does. And the team knows exactly what he's doing. I would think they and do. And so he wants to prolong this mystery for the sake of NC State has to prepare for both guys. So if this continues into next week, then I would say, all right, enough is enough. Let's talk to the quarterbacks. But for one week, given the circumstances, given how last week played out, I'm I'm kind of fine with it. Like again, being the you know, the media member in me wants to talk to the guys, but I get it. Like I get why they weren't made available last night. If it continues, all right. That you know, then enough is enough. Let's let's talk to the guys in the coming weeks. I'm fine with it this week, though. 
I guess I'm I guess I'm at a different place. I, I think that they should have been there last night. I, I think that it's fair to want to talk to those guys. I think that we haven't spoken with Eric Dungey. Nobody's heard from Eric Dungey since that game on Saturday. Nobody has spoken to Eric Dungey since last Tuesday night. Uh, I, I think that it's not unreasonable to ask that your four-year starting quarterback is going to be out there on 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 your your one media availability, your one player availability, and and I know that. We might be talking about stuff here that it's, oh, it's the media. It's, it's you guys just want to talk to them. It's kind of the only way that you hear from them, right? It's kind of the only way that fans hear from players, hear from the coach when, when we go speak to them. So I, I think that I, I feel like there's, I don't want to say something owed to the fans, but I, I feel like, you know, the, the fans probably want to hear from that guy too. I, I would think that you probably want to hear what's going on through Eric Dungy's head. And and we still haven't gotten that opportunity. And I would say this in response to what you know you just mentioned there. And again, you're not wrong, Seth. And there's part of me that absolutely agrees with you. However, I don't think they, they held him back from the media availability simply because he didn't play well. I think there's a greater goal here. If it was simply he didn't play well and Dino named him the starter on Monday and then you didn't make your starting quarterback available on Tuesday, then then I would say, all right, come on. You, you know, he, He's a big boy. He can handle the fact that he didn't play well and got pulled from the game. Let's ask him the questions. But that's not what happened. Dino did not name a starter. And he's got this whole competitive advantage thing working for him by not making those guys available, by, by not talking about it. Everybody last night, same company line about, you know, Jamal Custis literally said, we're keeping this in-house two, twice in the span of a nine-second soundbite. Like, they, they know exactly what they're supposed to say. And and he's you know he's playing this competitive advantage you know up as much as he can so leading then, into the game. I guess then my question is, couldn't you sent Eric Dungy and Tommy DeVito out and had them do the same thing? It's harder for them. It is. It's harder for them. They're they're they're, they're so in the middle of it. They're in it. right. And again, Dungy. I mean, does he have to face those questions right now? I don't know. I, and I, I don't know. I understand what you're saying. If he's the starter, I think that's one thing. If there's this this cloud of uncertainty, it puts him in a tough spot and Tommy DeVito in a tough spot. They know the answer, but they can't say anything. And, you know, for the receivers and the rest of the offense, I mean, I would assume it's hard, but it, listen, their job is, you know, Jamal Custis, his job is to go catch passes, to, regardless of who's throwing them the ball. Offensive line, it's to, you know, to block whoever's in front of you. It's. But for those, it would put those two guys, I think, in particular, in a very tough spot. Not that they couldn't handle it, but why do it this week? I'm okay with it this week. If this, because this, if this week is when we have the questions. Well, we might you, not have the questions the next week. You'll have all your questions answered on Saturday, I would think. And then afterwards, you'll be able to talk to the quarterbacks. And then theoretically, next Tuesday, you can talk to the quarterbacks again. You just you don't have your questions answered right now. But I think it'll be evident on Saturday what Dino Baber's plan was all along. When he told us on Monday, I'm not going to answer that question. There's a reason he doesn't want to answer the question, and we'll find out the answer a few days later than we wanted to find out the answer. And so will NC State, and that's the point. If this continues next week, I'll have a different answer for okay. you. I'll be irritated. <laughs> but right now, I'm not irritated. All I'm right. fine with it. That's fine. Uh, 315-437-7644. I know we have a lot of basketball uh, to get to. Today's ACC Basketball Media Day uh, down in Charlotte. Um, you spoke with Jerry McNamara last night. had an hour with Jerry McNamara on the Jerry McNamara Show. Uh, we're going to get more into basketball. Let's take our first time out here. We'll get more into basketball on the other side. Keep it here. We're just getting started on a Wednesday edition of Orange Nation. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. 
This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth back with you on a Wednesday edition of Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by the Bill Rapp Superstore at the corner of Thompson and Burnett in Syracuse or online at BillRapp.com. It is ACC Basketball Media Day down in Charlotte. Jim Beheim, Frank Howard, Tyus Battle representing the Orange, uh, which means who's handling the point guard duties at practice today, Seth? No Jalen no, Carey. No idea. No Frank Howard. Obviously, Howard Washington. Howard Washington's out. Ty's, Ty's battles, battles down there. in Charlotte. I think uh, if no I had scrimmaging to, today. Now, if I had to guess, if I had to guess based off something that that Jerry said last night, Elijah Hughes. All right. Well, Elijah Jim Beheim has made it clear he is not a guard. Be, that, he is look, a forward. That would, be, that would be my guess. At one point last night, Jerry said you could slide him in anywhere one, two, three, and and he could make that and he could play. Since you bring up your time with Jerry, you spent uh, a good hour with him last night at Tully's. It was the first Jerry McNamara radio show of the season. Uh, what stands out to you? First of all, did he address? I know that he did. He, he addressed Jalen Carey's injury. Yeah, I mean he. Basically said, hey, we're working back to it. And, and he made a really interesting point with Jalen Carey that Jalen hasn't gotten banged up all that much. So the the ligaments and, and everything going on in his ankle was still very, you know, it was at full strength. It was right where it's normally at. And, and Jerry said, you know, for him, he messed up his ankles a bunch. And so by the end, it was like, all right, I'm, I'm down for a day and then I'm, I'm going to jump back. Uh, for Jalen, it's taken a little bit longer, it seems like, because he hadn't had that damage before. So it's kind of the first time his body is reacting to it. But he did say that he was back on the court yesterday. He was back with him right before he came to Tully's for the show. Um, and, and that they're working towards getting him back, you know, at full go. But he, he's looking better. The the thing that encouraged me was the fact that Jerry said, and I believe the quote was, uh, right before I ordered my tenders here yes. at Tully's, uh, I was on the court. <laughs> Uh, with Jalen Carey, which to me is a good sign that if they're doing on-court work, you know, if he plays in the preseason game or not, it, it doesn't really matter. And I know he's a freshman. You'd like to have him out there going up against somebody other than, you know, his teammates it, as you get ready for the regular season. But if he misses a preseason game or two, no big deal. The fact that he's on the court, you know, doing work, to me that's a, an encouraging sign that he's close to coming back. Frank Howard uh, said that he's very close to getting his boot off. So, you know, again, can you survive a few games without Frank Howard? I I would suspect uh, that you can. So um, yeah, I, I think that you can. And and I I made this point to Jerry uh, during the show last night when we were talking about Frank and his injury. But not only is Frank a four uh, a fourth year guy, not only is he somebody who's played a ton of minutes for this team, but he's played a ton of minutes with the guys that he is going to be playing with this year, right? Because they played. Uh, you know, 30-some-odd games last year. Frank was playing f- near 40 minutes per game in those uh, in those 30 games. So he's played with Marek. He's played with Pascal. He's played with O'Shea. He's played a bunch with Tyus. And it's a little bit easier to just kind of slide him in and, and say, all right, you're back, you're healthy, let's go, let's roll, uh, than it might have been. And, Jer- and Jerry made this point. It's a lot easier than if Jalen Carey was our starting point guard sure. this year because Jalen would have come in and, and then he's got to get adjusted to playing with those guys. You know, Frank already has that. Frank already knows, uh, you know, where Tyus likes the ball or, or what position O'Shea is best, uh, the best threat in, uh, things like that. So I, I think that is the injury a big deal? N- nah, maybe. Um, I think that it's one that you can very much get over if he's ready by two, by, uh, two weeks from last night. 
Frank Howard has repeatedly said that it's nothing serious and that he's glad he got the injury out of the way when it happened and that it doesn't really affect his senior year all that much. They've got the two preseason games, and then they've got essentially two warm-up games after that to start the regular season, November 6th against Eastern Washington, uh, Eastern Washington, November 10th against Moorhead State. The first true test comes when they go down to the Garden I don't know how good UConn is, but they're certainly going to get tested that next night, and UConn always seems to play them tough. That's November 15th, and then obviously the next night, you know, you're looking at either Iowa or Oregon. Oregon looks really good this year, so theoretically, if you beat UConn, you're probably going to face Oregon the next night. You would love to be at full strength uh, for that game, but that so that yeah. buys him a little extra time. I mean, it's not like he's got to get back, you know, by the second preseason game. They've got a little leeway as long as he's back mid-November. I think you would feel good about that. Yeah, you mentioned that Oregon game. Oregon also a top 20 team. I think they were ranked either one spot ahead or one spot behind Syracuse in, in the AP poll when it came out the other day. Um, uh, you're going to the game, right? You're, you're going to oh, be yeah. down there. Yeah, okay, we'll I'm, be down there all I'm week. Gonna, I know, I'm going to be down there too. I am very much looking forward to seeing Bull Bull. He, he, just, he just seems like an interesting specimen as a basketball player. Like I just want to see that. You love court. his name. I do. I do, but... He's like seven-something and shoots threes. I want to see that. The plan for us uh, is to actually be down there all week beginning Wednesday. Uh, the women play down there on oh, Wednesday wow. against Texas A&M, and then Syracuse-UConn Thursday, and then either Oregon or Iowa on Friday, and then Syracuse-Notre Dame on Saturday. So I think, uh, from a News Channel 9 perspective, I think we're going to be down there for four days. There so complete go. coverage from down in the Big Apple uh, coming up uh, that week. That'll be a whole lot of fun. What else did Jerry talk about that kind of stood out to you? Um, I thought this was really interesting. Uh, talking about Tyus Battle, and, and obviously he is still number one option, still go-to guy, but the role might be a little different this year. Elijah Hughes is a big, strong, physical guard forward, um, a guy that can make plays, make shots, score on all three levels. Um, O'Shea is a much improved shooter, a much improved ball handler and decision maker. So I don't, I don't think Jalen Carey, buddy, I, we have pieces now. Um, we have depth and we have health, uh, things that we didn't have the luxury of having last year. So I don't think he needs to shoulder as much of the pressure this year as he did last year. Uh, but that's not to say that he's not going to go out and be the same aggressive player that uh, he was last year. We want him to be that guy. I think that's an interesting and a really good point that he makes. Yeah, we want him to go out and score 18 or 19 points a game. We would love for him to be that that number one option and that and that alpha, but O'Shea is better and Marek is better and Elijah Hughes is a better player than they had coming off the bench and Jalen Carey is a better player than they had coming off the bench. So, yeah, we want him to be that dominant All-American, All-ACC type player, but he doesn't have to do it, it with as much, I guess, as much volume as he did last year. It seems to me that somebody in this room brought that up repeatedly when we were talking about whether or not Tyus should go to the NBA draft or come back to school. And I think one of us kept saying that if he should come back... It's going to be an easier 20 a game? It is. And he's going to be more efficient. He's going to look better. He's not going to, you know, here Tyus, there's five seconds on the shot clock. Take the ball, do something. It's not going to be that this year. The team around him is going to be better. There is going to be... There is going to be a little... I, I stopped myself. I was going to say there's going to be less pressure on him. There is. There's going to be less pressure on him offensively to do everything that he had to do last year. And you look at his shooting percentages. I don't have them in front of me. I want to say he was 32% from three last year. I'm telling you that number is going to go up this year because it, he's going to be able to take threes within the flow of the offense and not, you know, 
half of his threes come with three seconds on the shot clock because nobody else you know has been been able to score or get a good look on a possession or you're playing three on five on the offensive end because Marek and Pascal happen to be in the game Marek is a better offensive player Pascal seems healthy uh, you know you mentioned O'Shea you've got Elijah Hughes you've got more firepower on the floor around him and I think that's that's going to help him it's going to help the team he's going to look better um and again, that, that's not why I thought he should come back to school opposed to go to the NBA draft. I think it all came down to his stock and where he was going to fall. It looked like he was going to go in the second round, so he came back. I just think he's it's going to benefit him. I think he's going to look better. I think he's going to improve his stock. I think he has a good chance to improve his stock, let's let's put it that way, uh, this year by coming back because the, the team is better. He's going to look better. He is going to look better. I I, I think that that has been obvious kind of from, from the jump. I think that he'll, he'll look better because he's not going to have to take as many shots, you would think, to get to that 20-point mark because he's going to get better shots, better looks, better, easier opportunities. And his percentages are going to go. I right. think everybody looked at that, and, and I know they worked him out, but you know he's got that little bit of a hitch in his jump shot. And I think you know teams, you can't help but look at the numbers and say, he shot 32% you know, this season from three. That's, you know, and that's the college three-point line. I think. I think teams, to some degree, are a little—I don't want to say scared away by that, but that's a little bit of a red flag. And I, I think that, that number right. is going to go up this year. I think you're absolutely right. I think teams looked at the shooting percentages and were like, "Hmm, I don't know about that." Um, to your point, easier looks, better looks. He's going to shoot a better percentage this year. Uh, Jerry also made the point that he, you know he was working on a shot all summer long. He, he was he was working on smoothing it out. There's, you know, he, he was working on getting that hitch. Out of the middle of his shot, so I, I think the Tyus is going to have a better year. I think it's a big deal that uh, that he's back, and I, I think it's a really big deal for Tyus particularly, but for this team in general that they've got so many more weapons around him and they've got so many more pieces that they can that they can play with. Yeah, just pulled up the stats: thirty-two point two percent from three-point range last year, thirty-nine point nine percent from the field overall. That's that's a number that needs to improve, and I, again, frankly, I think it 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 will improve, and and maybe improve drastically this year, uh, given how good they're going to be. Um, you know, he can still score his points. He can still, you know, get to what he averaged, 19.2 a game. He can still get to his 20 points per game. I just think he's going to look a lot better doing it. Uh, what else did, uh, did Jerry touch on that you wanted to get to? Let's get to uh, some stuff about Pascal Chukwu. We saw Pascal play a whole bunch of minutes last year, a lot of it because Barama Sidibe wasn't always healthy because he, he couldn't give them as much run as, as they probably would have liked. Uh, but Pascal, uh, Jerry says he, he's making him even more improvements over the summer. I think Pascal has just improved leaps and bounds. He's, you know, significantly improved, you know, from the, the way he catches it to keeps his head up when he catches it to how he's finished around the basket to his timing defensively. I watched a clip, uh, watched yesterday's practice this morning um, in my office on film, and I watched him cover a screen from the guard where the guard got picked off. We call it an outside screen, and, and Pascal covered 12 feet of space and contested a shot from 18 feet out uh you know three feet past the free throw line from the center position i mean uh his timing his instincts are are, are significantly better i i think that what he said there along with what jerry had said about barama sadibe and he's healthy and he looks better and he looks like the player that went down to pittsburgh and scored 18 points and grabbed 16 rebounds and he looks like that on a regular basis uh you know as far as his health They've got two centers. That, that's kind of one of the big takeaways that I took that that I had from last night. They have two centers that they feel really, really good about going into next year. And I know that was a question point 
Um, I think going into last season, we kind of questioned where those two guys were. We questioned what exactly they were. Um, I, I think you would agree Pascal from the beginning of the year to the end of the year seemed like a different player. He was much better at the end of the year than he was at the beginning. And it sounds like that development has continued. And then add on to that whatever you might be able to get to, uh, from Barama. And and that position could be a really big uh, strength position for Syracuse this year. A position that, you know, offensively might be able to count on 10 or 12 or 15 points out of that position from the two of them. Um, and, and then, you're, you know, your you're 10-12 rebounds and and good defense. And and if you're able to get that from the middle, from somewhere that, you know, you, you're not necessarily expecting a whole lot offensively out of, I mean, that just makes the team more dynamic, doesn't it? I'll be honest with you, Seth. I don't even know if they need that position to be a strength. They just need that position to not be a weakness. And at times last year, it was. And I know we we caught some heat last year when we said, you know, it's like playing three on five on, on the offensive end at times when Marek and a center were out there at the same time because they really had... And that's and that by and large that's what they had out there. They only had three guys who could score. It was O'Shea, it was it was Frank, and it was Tyus. And Marek didn't offer you much. The two centers didn't offer you much. And and for a long period of time, they were just playing six guys. So if they can if they can make that position not a weakness, even if it's not a strength, but it's just you know you get as you just pointed out. You treat it like it's one guy. You know, it's it's Barama Chuku, and he, you know, every night he's going to give you 12 points. And 12. Yeah, right. 12 and 8 or 12 and 10 or, you know, whatever the case may be. Treat that position like one guy, as long as it's not a weakness, and that they are an offensive threat to some degree, and they're rebounding and they're blocking shots, their defensive presence, I think you're better off. And then... You know, we talked this year about the SU football team. Well, the offense, is it better or worse? It's better. Is the defense better or worse? It's better. Special teams, better or worse? It's better. If you go around the horn there and it's, you know, Tyus is better and Frank is better and and your forwards are better because Marek's an offensive threat now and and your centers are better. If you're you're better all the way around and now Elijah Hughes is in there and depth isn't an issue and it, it feels like it's much the same way with the SU basketball team. As you go around the horn, everybody's trending up, and that's a really good sign, a really encouraging sign. Yeah, let's get to one more. Let's get to Elijah Hughes here. Uh, we we don't know what to expect out of him. We haven't seen him outside of the orange and white scrimmage. We haven't seen all that much of him on the floor, um, but we've heard a lot about him. He's a transfer guard. He got a lot of run last year in practice because he was able to practice with the team. Uh, so I asked Jerry, what what should we expect out of Elijah Hughes this year? Everything. Um you know he he plays he plays the game the right way he plays unselfishly he plays it aggressive he's an attacker um, but he does it selflessly um, you know he'd be the first guy to get in the paint and dunk on you but he'd also be the first guy to get in the paint stop and drop it off to the big for a dunk and both situations would make him equally happy um, and I love that about him uh, seems like a guy who could do a little bit of everything he he and and later Jerry would say he's a guy who could slide in at the one, the two, the three. That say, seems like a big weapon for this team to when, have. When you say that, I can't help but think of Michael Benajay. Me too. Right? I mean, the, the versatility that he brought to the, to the table, the ability to be on the bottom of the zone, he could be on the top of the zone, he could bring the ball up, he could you know play a little small forward. He, it, he kind of was your, your jack-of-all-trades. He was so versatile. Um, and they just loved his game. They just wanted to have him on the floor, so they found ways to have him on the floor, right? It's like a, it's like um, trying to come up with a, a comparison. Like in the NFL, it's a, it's a guy. It's you know, it's a playmaker that you Tyree want him to, to, yeah, you want him to return punch. You put him in the slot. You, you maybe you line him up in the backfield here, and you just want to find ways to give him the ball. Elijah Hughes, he's, he's Tyree Kill. Sure. Do you like that comparison? I do. Yes. 
That's a good comparison. And it sounds like, look, I, I mean, it sounds like he's going to play a lot. I don't, I, that's, the, yes, that's, I the think one, so. that's the one thing. And, and, you know, I asked Jerry about this more so in regard to Jalen Carey because he was high on Jalen Carey. And we can get to that in a little bit. But I, I was like, what, what, Frank and, and Tyus played 40 minutes a game last year. Like, where, where are you finding the minutes for, them, for all these guys? And, you know, he kind of harkened back to, you know, his year. He was like, hey, if I came out and Billy Edelin was going in, I was like, all right, like, I get it. You know, he's a good player. I'm not, you know, I'm not down that I'm going out. Um, I mean, if you're able to do that, you got the guys buying in who are like, hey, I, hey, I get it. That guy's pretty good, too. If I only play 30 minutes rather than, you know, my 40 that I played last year, that guy can get 10 minutes. And, and if Frank's only playing 30 and he can get 10 more and O'Shea's playing his 30 and, you know, all of a sudden there, there are minutes there for people. But it, to an extent, and, and I think that this is probably more difficult given what they all did last year, you've got to buy in to giving up those minutes. I am interested to see how they work work Jalen Carey into the rotation because I think there's time for everybody else. Um, with Tyus and Frank being your, you that know, seems difficult. Your to veteran backcourt, and you know, I, I look at Tyus like a senior. Like we know he's not coming back next year. I mean, this is this is their senior year. It's Frank's senior year, true senior year. Tyus, you know, he's trying to graduate in three years. We know he's not coming back. Um, it, Why you think he's going to grad transfer? Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it's. It's going to be hard for Jalen Carey to get extended minutes, I think. Um, but you've got, you know, you look at your forwards, you got Elijah. It'd be interesting to see, you know, if Buddy Beheim is capable of playing the small forward position to get on the court to, you know, to add his shooting stroke. Um, I, I'm curious to see how they use Buddy. But I, I think Jalen, you know, he's going to have to earn all the minutes he gets because, you know, Frank and Tyus, Jim's going to want those guys in the game. Especially close games, crunch time situations. You know those guys are going to be out there. Jalen's going to have to earn everything that that he gets. I think this year, but it sounds like he's capable of it. Three one five four three seven seventy six forty four. We got to take another time out. We're back after this on ESPN Radio, live from Armory Square. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. We're brought to you in part by the Bill Rapp Superstore at the corner of Thompson and Burnett in Syracuse or online at BillRapp.com. 315-437-7644. Phone lines open the rest of the way. Into the phone lines we go. Dom in Syracuse up next on the show. Hey, Dom. Hey, guys. I uh, just wanted to talk about the dependence topic. Yeah. And you got to let me vent. Okay. Go for I, it. I am so beyond sick and tired of radio guy tongue lashing on attendance. We've heard this from the G-Rob era about how people don't attend games. How, how awful is it that we only get thirty five to 39,000 people at a game? How terrible. You're not a real fan if you don't show up. I'm sorry, but that's, that, that's a load of horse stuff. Hey, um, Dom, Dom, let me jump in. Dom, 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 no. This is hold my on. show. It's not your show. So hang on. Uh, let me ask you this, okay? This is not a tongue lashing. I, I'm saying I, I legitimately do not understand. When we say well, that this is not a football town, it's a basketball town, people get angry. And then people show up to the game, those that actually do show up, and then they leave with seven minutes to go in a game that ends up, it's a one-possession game, and ends up getting decided in double overtime. Hey, people complain hey, that it's a 12 o'clock game. It's too, you know what? Pot him down. Dom, you're going to listen to me. It's a 12 o'clock game. It's too early. It's a 7 o'clock game. It's too late. I'm, I'm telling you, Dom, I legitimately don't understand. This is not a tongue lashing. I, I don't understand. Listen. Okay, can I explain now? Yeah. Okay. This, this is the same thing that we hear from Brent Dax. This is the same thing we hear from other channels. So it's not just you. And that's where my 
saving comes from. When you okay, so for, let's let's start off by saying, what's a what's a, what's a quality attended SU basketball game? 40,000 people. Basketball? Right? Are you talking basketball? Twenty nine. Basketball. No, yeah, n- n- twenty nine. Yeah, around th- around thirty would be. A, yeah, that's a great number. Twenty eight to thirty. So let's say so. Let's say thirty five thousand is a well attended game. That's a that's a primo game, right? Yeah. You you're getting the same attendance for football. So let's just say. I mean, this is this isn't like five years or the past three years. For the past twenty five years, this area has consistently brought thirty five thousand fans to a an event at the dome, football or basketball. Just because there's more capacity doesn't mean there's more. There's less games, Dom. There's six games. There's less games. I'm not asking Wait, you hold to go. Hold on a second. But those six games, those six games. I mean, at a minimum. It is a six-hour outlay for a family of four. Let's say at a minimum, the game's four hours. This past game was three and a half, almost four hours long with overtime. You get there two two hours early at a minimum to pregame, and then the prep before that. You're talking an eight to ten-hour outlay for a family of four. Let me tell you something. That's My ridiculous. Yeah, Dom, come you're on. Not a sports person, but you're not going to hold Dom, people's interest for that. Is ridiculous. Hour, you don't. I I went as a kid. I never went two hours before the game. That's ridiculous. It's not a ten hour day. It's yes, the games are three and a half hours. You go for the game. I'm not asking you to go for ten hours. I'm asking you to go for three and a half. Also, thirty five thousand for. A basketball game is a sellout. Thirty-five thousand for a basketball game is the best you could possibly do. Thirty-five thousand for a football game is fifteen thousand below capacity, and quite frankly, looks empty. And, and listen, Tom, I, I like when you call. So th- this isn't personal. I know you weren't taking it personal. What we said, I just, I, I don't, I don't buy that. I, what, what you just said, Dom, those are excuses. That, that. All I hear are excuses. It's too late. It's too long. It's too much money. It's the weather's bad. The, the weather's good. It's too late. It's too. I, I just. It's always. It's always. It's never just right. <laughs> like what would be the ideal scenario? I, I don't. I don't. I just don't understand. You know. You look at the know. last time this team was five and two. Last time this team was five and two was was two thousand eleven. Okay, their next home game they got about forty two thousand, and that was after two losses on the road. The year before, 2010, you brought this up. That was their last primetime game against UConn. They started that season 5-2. and two. This was the second-to-last game of the season. They got 41-5. They got 42 the following week for BC. Uh, they got about 41 for Louisville. At that point, they were 7-3 and three for the UConn game. Right, but they started 5-2. and two. Their next home game after starting 5-2 and two was Louisville. They got right. about 41,000. Show me forty this week I, again. I don't. And, and this isn't a tongue lashing. I just, if if you don't care, then that's fine. But then don't get mad when I say this is a basketball town, or as you said, Seth, that they're fair weather fans. It go or don't go. It, and if you go, you're right. You you know, Dino's right. You you can leave early if you want. All I'm saying is I don't understand. Like I'm a Bills fan. We go to one game every year. That's you know, we make one investment. We go to the game, and whether they win or lose, we're we're staying the whole time. I don't understand getting up with seven minutes to go of a of an entertaining game and just saying ah, I've had enough. I I don't understand. It, that's the thing that gets me from last weekend. It was not a twenty point game. It was not a twenty five point game. It was not a thirty point game. 
It was one possession. And what irritates me too? Possession. What irritates me too is that the same people who call and say you can't tell me to go to the games are the same people who are going to call when Dino Babers leaves and goes to a bigger program and says why can't we ever hang on to anybody? And I'm not again not singling out Dom. I'm just saying how many times have we heard right. that? Oh, don't tell me to go to the games. But there. then if the coach leaves. Then it's somebody else's fault. Probably because Saturday, probably because Saturday's game against UNC will be outdrawn by the majority of the basketball games that are that are happening this season. So because, as you said, there were not thirty-five thousand people there. Not even close. 20, 25, 26? I You know the the dome holds forty-nine five, so that would mean twenty-five is half full. The place was not half full, okay. was it? But but I, I okay. So so you're saying a generous estimate? Of it was 26? about twenty five thousand, right? Roughly. I right. mean, it was about half full, and that's then my, certainly that's by the thought. end of the game, it was not half full. My and and my point here is, if it was truly twenty five, how many basketball games are more than that? Majority of them. I'm at a loss. I don't get it. But we can move off of this. We'll get on to other things. Back with today's business after this on ESPN Radio.